Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, July 16th. It's episode 39. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And today we're going to be talking about to you about pinball video games and the much lamented, never seen very much anymore, tabletop gaming. But tabletop's going to be a huge section this time because we just got done with CantCon. CantCon's actually still running right now, but our our role in this adventure has come to an end. It has. Uh, but I guess first we should probably go ahead and do intros. So, uh, Tony, I guess what's been going on since our last episode? Well, I have finished a primary playthrough of uh, Shadow of Mordor, which we've talked about a lot lately because Shadow of War is coming out. And I never actually finished the game. I played it. I love the game, but I never finished it. So I actually just finished it the other day. And I'm starting on some of the DLC. And... Other than have that, I haven't been doing a whole lot, actually. Yeah, I um, I never played the DLC for Shadow of Mortar. I just did the main game. I've uh, been, I, I did a little bit more of Dishonored 2, but not enough, I didn't even get through another chapter, so not enough to talk about. Uh, been playing around with some of the shmups I got on the Steam sale. Shmups. So, yep. So I've been, I've been doing a little bit of that. Picked up a couple more games, like Crypt of the Necrodancer was uh, one I was watching for, and it was cheap on Steam, but I haven't started it yet. And so that's really the, that's gaming the, that's wise. kind of the uh, roguelike like dance thing one where it uses the music and everything's it's like a kind of like a roguelike rhythm game. I don't really all I know is look this this shows you how great I do research. All, all I knew is that it was really popular. So I'm like <laughs> that I heard people are really liking it. It's like I haven't really other than risk of rain until I upgraded my computer and started getting more stuff through Steam, namely Binding of Isaac, I haven't really played any roguelikes. So I saw that that was one that was very well received broadly. So it was just, I threw it on the wish list. So I don't know. I would uh, recommend, yeah, um, yeah I'd, if you haven't seen you want to try some, I'd recommend FTL also. Oh, yes. I, I have heard quite a bit about FTL. And if you want something that's really, really hard, enter the Gungeon. Hmm. I, don't I don't think know it, if I want something really hard. Yeah, I don't I'm think it's as good as Binding of Isaac, uh, but it is still a lot of fun. But it is, I think, harder than Isaac. Okay, well, I guess that's it for intros. So let's get going. Yay! Okay, uh, pinball. Uh, three three section three topics I have down in our notes here that I see we're going to talk about. I think the first one's here on me, and it's very brief. Uh, Dutch pinball which we've talked about extensively uh, quite a bit this year. Uh, there was not, not, there's not a whole lot to say other than they have continued to provide news updates. There are uh, new quotes from their new contract manufacturer, which they liked. They, they say they're pursuing and that they're at the stage now where they've ordered parts to build a new prototype under this new manufacturer. They still haven't named who the manufacturer is, but, the time estimate for some of the parts is as far as nine weeks out. And this was as of Friday. So it was basically nine weeks out from when we're recording this. Uh, so it will be a couple of months before th- we'll hit a time period where they would even possibly have a new machine built as just a prototype. But anyway, that's that's the status of that. So they, they're, I guess, 
in the process of trying to figure out how the new manufacturer would actually what they need to do to actually build it. Yeah, so they're they're basically they're moving ahead with everything they said they would be moving ahead with, and it's just a matter of what and where they are is what it amounts to. Yeah, yeah. and and still, you know, know nothing about the I know nothing about the financing or the actual ability to fund the the construction to actual users. They're just they're at this. There's this gap, and I know we we've covered it before about whether what does we haven't talked about it extensively, but. It was sort of the issue of what does Ara own? What's sort of proprietary to them? Because they were involved in the development of some aspects of it, probably board sets. And yeah. if those have to be totally re-engineered now, uh, I mean, I assume they must be if Ara actually owns the rights to them. Even if Ara doesn't own the rights to them, if the plans on the boards aren't in possession, you know, that may just be easier to reconstruct. But regardless, since the new contract manufacturer, I'm assuming, given that it's also in the Netherlands, has no background in pinball production, they have to figure out how to assemble something anyway. So they need a prototype. So yeah, well, no, that's that's completely understandable. Uh, even without the other, even without the other addition, the uh, would be a completely understandable need for them to prototype it. We'll just have to see how things end up going and we'll have hope that's all we can do is have hope we'll continue to monitor the situation but anyway uh so that's progressing uh so let's jump over to the second pinball topic which is uh star wars we talked about star wars when it was announced but there's finally been gameplay so uh thanks out uh to dead flip as usual got the first gameplay glimpse on july 5th and we will have a link in the show notes to the YouTube archive of that uh, Twitch feed that he had showing the footage. So it's a couple hours long. So if you want to see how the game was playing at that point, a lot of people have actually been able to get their hands on it because I believe it was at one, I think actually two different pinball shows since then. But yeah, things have really moved fast. Um, I heard that uh, actually read on Facebook that the uh, Pizza West location that KC Pin services in our area in Kansas City just put in the Star Wars uh, at at that location, which had the tournament yesterday. But Tony and I had to go to our twentieth twentieth uh, had to yeah had to had to, chose to go to our uh, our twentieth uh, year anniversary high school reunion since we both went to the same high school and graduated the same year, and that was during the tournament, so we had to miss the tournament. And it would have been hard to make the tournament anyway because we were still at CantCon when the tournament was starting. So basically, the tournament That's true, was out. We, we, no we matter. didn't leave CantCon yeah. until. Uh, yeah, we our our last game finished up a quarter till five, and the tournament starts at five. And there's no way I could have gotten over to Shawnee from Overland Park in that time period. So, uh, we yeah, so we don't. I don't have to. I don't have to throw the reunion under the bus. We were that day was booked. Yesterday was a mess. I'm amazed we're uh, awake and recording this, but. Well, especially because I, by the time I got home last night and then I talked to the wife for a while cause she didn't go with us. And then I went to sleep and then something woke me up at like just before four in the morning and I could never go back to sleep. So I, I, I got like three and a half or four hours of sleep last night. So mm. I know I got up about six. I, it, went, it wasn't too bad for me. Anyway, uh, unfortunately, they had Star Wars in the tournament, but unfortunately, we weren't there, so we didn't get to play it. I, I had someone tell me they thought they found it interesting, <laughs> and I haven't been able to follow up follow up with them yet. <laughs> what uh, does interesting mean? I have no idea. Well, uh, they did uh, they did complain that their hand hurt from having to smack that button to attack the Tie Fighters. So I assume interesting meant it's got <laughs> it. It looks really interesting, but 
They didn't want it to inflict pain. I think we might have to tell them to smack the button a little less hard. That might be the solution. I don't know. But um, anyway, uh, so our knowledge of the machine was from was from the dead flip stream. I know there's been a code update since then. But uh, Tony, did you get a chance to see any of the footage? I, I watched a, a, a gameplay of it. I probably watched 15 to 20 minutes maybe of the footage. I utterly failed. I I didn't watch any of it. I meant to. It was on my list of things to do, but I've been so busy with other things that I completely forgot about it until I sat down and started going through our episode notes today. And it's like, I was supposed to watch that. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well. Uh, Anyway, it was, uh, yeah, interesting is not a bad word uh, for it. Uh, The sound package coupled with the light effects, and this was a pro model. Uh, I thought it looked really good. The integration. I don't know what the sound effect was on the pop bumpers. I know I speculated that it should be things like lightsaber crackles. I don't think they went with that. Uh, had a really cool spinner sound though. Kind of a, not like a star Wars sound. It was more, I believe a more, what I think of as an old school spinner sound. It was, but anyway, it, it just, the whole audio package looked, uh, sounded great. The, the light show looked good. The screen integration, I think, is a step up from what we've seen with Aerosmith and Batman, which obviously were early forays into the technology for Stern Pinball. Uh, lots of clips from the show. Uh, the rules, though, the rules from what I saw give me way more of a almost overwhelming Game of Thrones vibe. Because you, you choose a character when you start, kind of like choose your house. But now it's choose your Luke or any other <laughs> of the characters you can choose from. And then it seems based off of the character you choose also determines like what missions are available and there are missions to choose also. So it seems very complicated. And, and you know, that was sort of my issue with game of Thrones is I never really understood how to play it uh, in a home environment. I think game of Thrones would be a great game, but on location, it was always like, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to play House Martell because Adibals or something. Or or here are two other sort of lesser alt options that maybe make more sense since I'm not a very good player. I don't know yet enough about Star Wars to be able to say, do we know? Like, is there one character which, oh yeah, well, this is the character you need to do if you want to blow this machine up. And the only way to get on the high scoreboard will be to blow the machine up. But it's definitely got more of that RPG-esque style to it, like... Uh, Game of Thrones has with that with that choice option, and I don't know what the different characters bring you other than the different missions. So that was an interesting feature. The video mode, as we kind of uh, attested to a little bit ago, is just they have that action button that so many of the Sterns have in the middle of the lock bar. It seems just to be, I heard it compared to like using the gun in Jurassic Park where the Raptors will sometimes come across on that Daddy East game and you have to grab the gun handle and you try and sh- uh, pull off Shoot all the shots. Raptors. Yeah, that this is sort of akin to that, but you're just trying to blow up as many TIE fighters as possible. So it's not, it's a video mode, but other than just having to be really quick, it's not like a weird... Uh, you know, like twitch to avoid obstacles while driving your car on the DMD. So as far as video modes go, I like that style better was really just spam and not, Oh yeah. you actually have to like play a asteroids on your DMD sort of thing and, and lose cause you don't know how to do it. Uh, so I, and I saw that in the footage also. See, now, my, my only issue is with those things is I'm one of those players who I, I don't always notice that's up there until it's too late. And then in my haste to try and grab it, I drain. <laughs> that's just my poor play style. And and that's why I'll, I'll have to ask, but from what I remember seeing, that is not, I don't think the ball's still in play like Jurassic Park. So I'm not sure the guy who sent us that message yesterday, I'm, 
I'm not, I wasn't sure that was the best analogy because this is actually you activate video mode. There's an insert for it. Oh. And I believe the ball is not in play. It actually operates like a traditional video mode, except the nature of the video mode is akin to one of, you know, blasting the stormtroopers in Daddy Star Wars or blasting the Velociraptor. Uh, but in those two instances, though, those still had the ball in play. But in this case, I believe the ball is actually locked. So. Well, so it's more like a traditional video mode, but with the... But with the skill required of a wall ball is in play video mode. Right. Okay, I, that's... I think. Otherwise, you're going to have to get used to using your chin, just like using warped, <laughs> just like using photon torpedoes uh, during Star Trek. Uh, you know, that's what all the good players use instantly, is they, they'll trap up on both flippers and then they use their chin. Uh-huh. That's what I've heard. That I tried would be that why I'm a failure. I slammed my chin too hard and it was sore and it made me sad. But we're not here to talk about my chin. Uh, so I, I saw that. I think the bonus is too high from what I did see of the game. Uh, I, it wasn't like Batman 66, which was just totally ridiculous high levels of bonus. But the uh, it seemed, and they may have already toned it down some, but it did seem like the game was just way too bonus heavy. And, and you know, I know that's a balance. Uh, I, I have, I'm trying to think of, of my games. I I guess the only game i really have that's really heavy in bonus is probably firepower but i don't know superman's kind of kind of like that my newer games though are not bonus heavy games and so it's just it's always weird for me to see a i have a little more trouble i don't like bonus games as much i would say overall because i don't generally i don't have a sense as to how much bonus i actually have so if you're trying to figure out if you have enough to win or not you don't if you don't know it well enough you don't know and in some games like Ghostbusters, it's, you know, that bonus is just huge. So, yeah. Well, and they've toned that down in Ghostbusters. Bonus isn't as big of a thing as it was originally in Ghostbusters. And I've heard uh, that this is, through its iteration, Star Wars has not as extreme as it was. And I don't think Star Wars started even as extreme as Batman 66 did. But uh, anyway, it is a bonus heavy game as, as it stands. And I don't imagine that will change. So just FYI to people, uh, apparently that's uh, it's a big deal in terms of the scoring on this. So it's just, uh, something to be aware of. But uh, that's really all I had to say on it. Um, yeah, it just it looked really cool. Uh, I I want to try it. I I'll have a chance to now. Um, obviously, like everyone else, I'm curious about how the premium will will play. I mean, it's got that different. It's got that hyper ramp. I think that's going to look really cool. I'm not sure that's going to change the gameplay very much. Um, I wonder if the ball lock mechanism and stuff with the Death Star uh, works a little bit differently with the break open Death Star. But but yeah. I, I can see why some people might look at this pro and think, wow, this looks pretty stripped down. I thought it looked, I thought it integrated really well, but you know, the only real toy on there uh, is your non-moving death star. And then there's the little uh, jiggly tie fighter, which is kind of like the jiggly uh, vengeance on star Trek, except obviously much, much smaller, but I'm not a big toy person. So, I mean, toys are, toys are great, but I'm not a, I, I don't care so much if a game has a lot of toys or just a few toys, but some people care. So you're not a huge toys. Aren't a huge make break for you. No, I mean, and it can depend on the theme. I mean, I think, I think uh ghostbusters, even the pro looks really populated. It's just, you know, the, the little cityscape they got going on. You got the little stay puff in the back and while Slimer's not big, he does move around. So he's pretty interesting to see. And even the little uh, lame little pop-up Scolari brothers, cause no one likes them. Uh, and they are just drop targets, but you know, the way they kind of pop up like little trolls. Yeah. It, I mean, that one's kind of more toy heavy than, 
you know, something else or, or walking dead, you know, with the well walker and the barn and stuff. It just, yeah, it, it looks like it's, it's full of toys. This looks like it's full of ramps. Uh, but, uh, oh, and the one thing that, uh, from what I saw, and I've heard others already obviously discuss and write about this. Oh, this is wicked fast. Holy cow. Uh, this is the fastest, I, you know, God, I'm trying to think, uh, to me, it's not F 14 fast, but, Short of that, this to me looked like the fastest Steve Ritchie game I've seen. Uh, I've heard some wow. people really compare it to No Fear a lot in terms of how it actually played. Uh, it does have No Fear has no pop bumpers, so that's not a great analogy. But some have claimed that you don't really interact all that much with the pop bumpers and how he's got it laid out here. Whereas, like in in Star Trek or Game of Thrones, you're in the pops a lot. Uh, so yeah, uh, but no, I mean, yeah, if you want, I mean, I as I assumed, especially once we knew the name who was on it, that it would be flow heavy, but wow, it, yeah, it seemed to play really fast. So, uh, if you want fast games, I, I, you know, I don't know what the average ball time is going to end up being, but if you like that ball to just be whipping around all the time, uh, this does not look like it will disappoint. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to get up there real soon and have an actual experience with it. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, this was, a uh, we knew this month was going to be with CantCon and everything, it was just going to be uh, everything's just busy viable. this month. Yeah, yeah. So we we've known for months that we wouldn't be able to make the tournament here. I just didn't know that uh, Star Wars would show up <laughs> show up the day before. So <laughs> yeah, want want. No, I don't think that was I'm expected. Not, I don't think it was planned. Yeah, no, it was because uh, you know who knows when you were going to get it. Get you know it was going to come in. I knew they were shipping. It's just, but obviously it depends on the order when people purchase them. And I, I think it's, it's another local owner who owns this machine. He just wanted to put it on route initially through Casey pens. So and he apparently ordered it early enough that he got it already. Okay. Well, that's really all I had to say for star Wars. We only have one more pinball topic, Tony. Oh yeah. And it's tiny. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the tiniest, tiniest if we just shorten it down to PDQ, but. Unfortunately, it's yeah. also going to be our, our longest one. And it's not, well, it's been an ever evolving saga. And this one, I'm trying to think of the best way to tackle it because it's fairly confusing and there's a high risk of drama with something like this. But I guess we we just need to, need to dive in. I think we'll start it with what we most recently know and then try and sort of fill out some background. So what this has to do is PDQ for Pinball Done Quick. This is an event that hap- has been happening twice a year where pinball goes for about a week live streamed 24 seven raising money for charity. Uh, the charity that's involved depends on whether it's the winter event called awesome games done quick or the summer event called summer games done quick. And those two events are run by games done quick, which is a fundraising group that does video game speed runs for the week. And what happens is the pinball folks, show up at the same place that the video game folks are at. And there are two streams that are running simultaneously, one on pinball and one on video games. So what's happened is there was an announcement yesterday, July 15th, 2017, that the people who donated to pinball done quick, and this was the, there were several ways you could contribute, but this was for actually submitting what I would consider a true donation which would put you into for a drawing to win a new Stern Pro pinball machine. Uh, that they were pin, that pinball done quick. Any of the contributions that came in through that, they are all getting refunded. So anyone who donated is getting that donation refunded back to them. 
And the reason that they're doing that is because there is a conflict between the official rules for the sweepstakes that they listed involving that pinball machine and the planned approach on how they were going to do the drawing and what they told people was that planned approach. Those two items did not agree. So make, and I'll, I have a link to that announcement on Facebook in, in the show notes because I received an email because I did donate uh, during the Pinball Done Quick stream. And uh, but but they have announced it in a, in a public and it's the same message. So you, anyone can go and read it. It's a it's a public post. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, basically, they were setting it up one way and they announced it one way. But when they were actually going through and doing it, they were not following their own rules and causing minor issues. Yeah, there it's sort of a the story. And I didn't I mean, I didn't know that this refund thing and the and the cancellation of the drawing was going to happen until a few just a few hours ago. So I was having to plan this segment to be quite a bit different because there was a lot of confusion still out there. Uh, basically, the scenario with pinball done quick and it's kind of the pinball uh, pinball edu is the nonprofit that is coordinating pinball done quick. The charity that in this current one, the one with the drawing canceled with summer's game dames games done quick was doctors without borders, which I think most people are familiar with. So if you were to go to the games done quick stream, the video game stream and donate, it went right to doctors without borders. You got a donation receipt. You were put into a sweepstakes automatically, depending on the volume of money. And uh, the payment went right to MFSF is the acronym for doctors done quick because it's actually a French uh, phrase and I always mispronounce it. So I'm just going to say MSF for doctors without borders at this point. <laughs> um, if you donated for doctor for MSF, on the pinball stream, it actually, you got a receipt that you donated to pinball edu and they would take the, the funds and ultimately transfer them to MSF. And I remember that from awesome games done quick because which was for the prevent cancer foundation. But, uh, because I donated during that stream also, cause I actually, I donated on both sides. Cause I like to encourage the pinball stream. Cause I think it's a really good idea. I really like the idea of approaching pinball from speed running thing. And I think, also, as we've talked about extensively on this podcast, I think that video gamers in particular are highly susceptible for indoctrination into pinball. So <laughs> it makes sense to try and expose them to pinball. So I really like the idea. I, I really do. But but the twofold problem here was one, how the, the uh, well, let me reverse the order. We've talked about number two, which is the nature of the sweepstakes. The initial issue which caught my attention was regarding the amount of money that was actually going to MSF. And this was, uh, I guess you could probably categorize it more as a issue with how they were describing the donation process. So on the stream, all the various hosts, they had all sorts of hosts, a lot of uh, pinball Twitch personalities doing it. And the the Moobot, the automated kind of tool that is going on in the Twitch stream, constantly reminding people, here's how you can contribute. Here's what's going on. All that sort of stuff. All of the branding, all of the messaging, the Twitter stuff, it would just it would it all would say, you know, all donations, all subscriptions, all Twitch bits, which are a form of kind of currency that this was all going to MSF. The problem was that it wasn't really all going to MSF. It, 
Ultimately, the net amount was going to MSF, but there was one expense associated with this project, and that was the Stern Pro pinball machine. That wasn't donated. They were going to have to buy that. So while the Twitch subscriptions and Twitch bits were going 100% to MSF, the donation amount to enter into the sweepstakes was going to be sent to MSF less the cost of a Stern Pro machine. So roughly $5,000. So that was a, a, a source of confusion. And given the, the branding on it, when I had donated, I had thought, oh, all of my, all of my money was going to go to MSF. And when I found out it wasn't, I was kind of annoyed because I thought all of everything they were saying had indicated to me that it was 100% going to them. And so uh, others had raised this point publicly. And that's how I, that's when I found out uh, that that was the case. So I, I asked for a refund. Uh, before they, uh, before the pinball done quick, people said anything. I submitted a, 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 a refund request through PayPal, and I said I, I didn't think it was represented accurately, and I would rather have my twenty five dollars back so I can, you know, redonate it or do what I what what I want to do. I only gave them twenty five, and I get I because it went to the pinball edu when I did the donation. I sent the rest of the money I was giving to MSF through the games done quick stream because I knew for sure then. So I was already red flagged on it. It was just, I, I was just like, nah, that's, that's not what I wanted to sign up for. So, and they, they had, they had agreed that that was going to go forward. And that was pending process per the, before this latest announcement. So that was the, that was the one side. And they came out towards, I guess, the end of the event on Twitter and clarified that it was net proceeds, not gross. So, that sort of messaging thing I assumed was going to be fixed in the future, no matter what. But but that was the that was the easy that was the easy lift. That was the the one problem. But you know when you look back at some of these amounts that were raised, it was it's that pinball machine's very significant chunk is the thing. I it was I believe over twenty five percent of the gross donation amount raised during this most recent Summer Games Done Quick. And that's a pretty big, you know, that's a pretty big ask to say, well, you know, we're only giving 75 cents on the dollar to MSF. While saying we're, that we're giving all of it. Right, right. When you say all donations, people are thinking, oh, you're going to send, if you raised $14,000, you're sending $14,000 over, not 9000 So, yeah, it's, so, so that was, that was kind of a mess, but, but they, they got out in front of that and, and they had posted um, a message early last week saying, this was after I did my donation request or my refund request, but they said anyone who felt like they didn't understand and was upset could ask for a refund and they'd get their donation back. So, so they got, they, I thought they, you know, they managed that one pretty quickly. The thing was the the number two that we brought up originally about the sweepstakes situation. And so I'm going to try and explain it a, a little bit without getting hopefully too deep into the weeds. But when you're a charity and you want to raise money, you have a variety of options where prizes are available or you or there are various categories of things you might think you can do, but not all of them are legal uh, or you need special uh, permits and stuff to do them. So they officially were saying they were doing a sweepstakes and in a sweepstakes, and this is what games done quick on the video game side does. They do a sweepstakes in a sweepstakes. You can have a bunch of prizes and you can say that, you can have automatic entry 
at certain dollar levels. So like the, the grand prize for the Games Done Quick folks was a computer, but you had to donate $150 to be put in automatically. That's important. Automatically into the drawing for the computer. And at $5, you got put in, in a drawing for, you know, a t-shirt or whatever, uh, or nothing. It just, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. That's just, it's an automatic entry, but a sweepstakes must have a provision where you can have a, basically a free option to be in for all the drawings. It can't be behind a pay barrier. Everyone has to have an equal opportunity. So the normal way that sweepstakes do this is they have an address where you can send a postcard and you'll be put into the drawings for all the items. The other condition on sweepstakes is that has to be equitable. Everyone has to have the same chance of winning. So whether you paid $150 and got your automatic entry or you paid $1,000 or you paid nothing, you sent in the postcard to be in the drawing for the computer, you only get in once. You can't stuff the ballot box with your name multiple times. So you can't run through it herb style where you just keep punching in until you've got an overwhelming ability to get it done. Right. Right. It's it's like one person, one household. However the rules are going to be structured, but it's you you have one entry. That's a standard sweepstakes approach. All right. So let's let's take that and we'll put that aside. Just noting that this is what through Major League Pinball, which was sort of the official or overseen or organization involving Pinball EDU. They were the one Major League Pinball was the ones broadcasting this. Uh they're also the ones that initially posted the refund announcement yesterday that I mentioned earlier. Uh that's what the official rules were for for sweepstakes, just like Game Done Games Done Quick does. So we got that pot. Then there's the raffle pot. This is what we see a lot with uh, the or when the, the organization we sponsor, Project Pinball Charity. Uh, Pinball EDU also runs a number of raffles, and this is very normal for charities to do uh, as an option to do raffles. In raffles, there's a set number of tickets. You you don't get any free entries. They're not allowed to give them away. In fact, that would be a violation of law. You have to buy you you know the, you buy the tickets and then. You draw and there's a guaranteed winner. A ticket will be drawn and all of the tickets are, you know, you don't have to sell all the tickets. That's how I believe both of the pinball organizations I mentioned earlier do it. I know pinball EDU does it that way. There's a provision that everyone will get refunded if they don't sell out, but you can also do things where you'll just draw out of the winning pool. Maybe the prize is, you know, you may not care. It, you can set it up a variety of ways. But in under a raffle, you can increase your odds as long as you keep acquiring tickets. But you know how much your odds are for each entry because you know the maximum number of tickets that can be sold. So that's a raffle. And charities do raffles all the time as well. So that's a section. There is no raffle being run for pinball done quick they they'd always acknowledge that it wasn't meant to be a raffle so let's put that in our little box then there's the third box where if you wanted to do something that might sound like a sweepstakes but you wanted to allow people to buy multiple entries in and you wouldn't have to guarantee a winner you could but you wouldn't have to guarantee a winner but basically that you could contribute more money and have more chances but you weren't going to have a set number of tickets sold. That's a lottery. And most of the time, charities cannot run lotteries. There's, it's, 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 a, it's gambling without an exception for charity, whereas raffles are often exempt. There are some states that are very strict on raffles as well, but, but that's the third part. So 
going back to pinball then quick in this long-winded explanation, hopefully simplified at this point. The problem was the official rules said they were running a sweepstakes. However, during the stream, the hosts and the auto announcements, and even after the stream, under that post last week, which clarified about the refunds if you felt like you were upset that not all of your donation was going to MSF, they did indicate the plan was to draw from the sweepstakes And the way it worked is every $25 you gave got you an additional entry. And they use the example under the last week post of if you gave $25, you have an entry. If you gave $50, you have two entries. And they had a postcard option like a sweepstakes would warrant, but that there was a limit of one postcard entry per household. So you could only ever get one entry for free. That's not sweepstakes. That's a lottery. This was pointed out to them, and they didn't respond to anyone who was pointing it out. And that became a problem. And that's what I thought I was going to have to spend most of my time talking about, because it wasn't a, nowhere did I see the, the, the folks behind Pinball Done Quick explain why they thought that was a legitimate sweepstakes. It was especially confusing because last week's announcement mentioned that thing about the postcard and that it was only limited to once per household. But if you loaded up the sweepstakes rules, it said one entry per household, regardless of method of entry. And it's under the how to intersection of the rules, which explains the payout model of the $25 auto entry. That also says 20 also said incidentally that $25 or more got you one entry into the contest, not multiple entries. And at the very top of their official sweepstakes rules, it did. Uh, it also clarified that the uh, the way the the way the contest was structured was no purchase necessary to enter or win. And then noted right after that, a purchase or payment will not increase an entrance chances of winning. That's an exact quote from those rules. So what they said they were going to do did not match what their own official rules said. And while I'm not an attorney, there are plenty of guides on how to set up charity draws and the limits of what you can and just cannot do. And I thought in less than 30 minutes of work, it looked really obvious to me that what they were running was an illegal lottery if they went forward with the drawing. And so I was very confused why they, in their announcement, sort of doubled down on that that was the plan. Especially because it just went against the the official written rules, which were, I mean, very legally structured. It just, I can't say they're identical to games done quick, but it sure felt that way. So I, it was just, it was really weird. Um, I, I didn't see any, any public com- comments on, on that aspect, but apparently I don't know if someone, maybe they talked with their lawyer behind the scenes and they just weren't saying anything public, but they, they're at the point where they've realized that what they wanted to do for the draw drawing the name didn't comply with the sweepstakes rules. And so that's why they've explained that they're refunding everyone who donated, which was a sizable amount of money. And they've provided a link uh, that you'll be able to access in, in our link to their explanation where you can go and donate direct to MSF, uh, you know, kind of through them in a way so that if you want to, if when you get that money back, if you want to push it right back out and give it to the charity, you can, and they're providing a tool for that. So, uh, my thought is this was probably the, uh, the best solution they could have come up with. Cause I, I get it. They were totally in a bind. They went forward. They had told everyone all week that if you paid more money, 
you'd get more drawings. They almost assuredly would have raised significantly less money if people hadn't been under the impression that they were buying more chances to win a pinball machine. But if they went forward with that, they could have put themselves in a lot of legal jeopardy, which could have put pinball EDU, which was going to run the drawing at a lot of risk of liability for having violated the the law regarding charities and lotteries. So I think this really was the only course of action they could do. Yeah, I think that's what it sounds like is that this whole <clears throat> retraction is their best position for the situation they painted themselves into. I mean, they painted themselves into a corner. They laid out the rules. They made, they provided the rules. The rules were, were sound like they were very clear for what they were supposed to be. And then they just ran things like they're used to running things with seeing as they do raffles all the time. And then they were stuck because they'd already violated their own rules. So everything they'd done up to that point was wrong. And this is the only way to get, keep them from having that, uh, legal issue and having the ability for people to be uh bring up suits or anything else against them because of violation yeah i i I think it's the only i think it was the only sane course of action uh and i mean they still this didn't affect the the subscriptions and the twitch bits they still gave uh i think their estimate was twenty two hundred dollars over so they still were able to send on or twitch to send on directly to msf a a set number of money so you know there's still some I, i i'm sure it was i imagine devastating for them to have to go back and cancel out this. Basically, I think they had $6,000 that were going to go on to uh, Doctors Without Borders uh, based off of of what they reported. And that would have been, I guess, the net amount post drawing. But uh, so it's unfortunate to have spent, you know, coordinate that 24 seven thing for a whole week. And then you, all you did was push on twenty two hundred dollars. That's I mean, that's kind of lame. I, I but. Yeah, that's kind of that, that, that is kind of an issue. And I mean, it seems like it's I'm not I don't think that there was anything where this seems to have been an intentional thing. I just normally when you see something like this, it is the games are donated that are being given away. Thus, everything can go to the charity. And since that wasn't ever made clear and then running things completely against the rules. Yeah. They were in a point they had to do something. They had to. Yeah. Now I don't, I don't know if there are any repercussions for, uh, AG, AGDQ's a pinball done quick with earlier this year. And then the summer games done quick corresponding pinball done quick from 2016, which had the drawings under these lottery esque styles even though they should have been done as sweepstakes. Uh, you know, I have, I have no idea if there's any, uh, you know, if they were contacted or anything's involved with that. Uh, my own interest was about the, the most immediate one, but I know cause someone had indicated who was kind of bringing this to light in the, in these public discussions, which surprisingly have not to my knowledge been going on on the pinball forums has mostly been going on on social media. Uh, one, one individual uh, had indicated that they had contacted the charity pinball edu twice back with the last summer and back when agdq was going on about their concerns with the sweepstakes actually being run as a lottery and action wasn't taken then so you know i don't know i don't know why why it wasn't it definitely again i'm not giving legal advice i'm not an attorney but 
all the charity guides said this that I looked at said this was a complete clear violation of how you can do a sweepstakes. And so I'm a I'm a little surprised that it wasn't taken seriously sooner. I'm hoping that they're able to pivot, get this fixed, and be able to move forward in a in a in a way that's going to be legally compliant. Because as I noted before, I really think this is a good idea for increasing pinball exposure and using pinball to do some good. Uh, the one other thing I did want to say before we move away from the topic, however, is again, in these discussions on social media, there were just a couple, but there were a couple of instances where I saw people coming in and commenting who were pretty annoyed or angry that this was being brought to light and that was being brought to light uh, in a way that they thought was embarrassing to the organization uh, or it just maybe overly rude. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, in a way I get it. No one, I mean, you know, it's pen in a lot of ways it's pinball. A lot of the, a lot of people know each other in this hobby. And so there's going to be this defensiveness when you feel like your friends getting attacked and I know in some of my own posts, because I was pretty public with some of my concerns, I felt I needed to be, otherwise I'd be the one standing on the sidelines, not having done something when I thought something wrong was going on. Uh, you know, I tried to be polite, but direct about these things. But the the bottom line is that you're not helping anything when you get defensive and you're in the wrong like this. I, I, I don't really know any other way to phrase it. This had this gone forward and then the New York attorney general's office got involved, which had oversight over that sweepstakes, as I understood it from the official rules, the fines and penalties. I mean, that that's the sort of stuff that could destroy some uh, destroy a charity like pinball EDU. It's better to get it fixed and right and move forward, even if it's a little embarrassing than it is to operate illicitly and possibly face destruction. So it's, you know, this stuff is to try and help the hobby out. When people point these things out, they're not trying to be mean. They're trying to get it right because as this becomes more and more of a popular thing, more and more eyes are going to notice this stuff. And you can't just shrug your head and and say, oh, well, quit being internet lawyers. You guys, I don't really care about the legal stuff. Let's, we need to be, we need to focus in and just, you know, we're doing, just keep doing good work. It's like, no, no, you got to do it's great that you're doing good work, but you got to do it right. You know, there are rules. Pinball doesn't get to be exempt from the rules just because you want it to be. And good intentions don't matter. The, the, the bottom line to always remember is ignorance of the law is no excuse. So it doesn't matter if you have a good reason. The AG's office isn't going to care. They're just going to say, you ran an illegal lottery and we must break you. So it's better for the community to figure it out. And let you know now so that you don't have that happen. It's just for the, you know, it's, it's, it's to help. The whole point is to help. We don't want people to feel cheated who are donating and we want the money to go where it's supposed to go. And we want the organizations that want to do good work to be able to exist and continue to do the good, to do the good work, but they got to play by the rules. That's just, that's all it ever, for me, at least it's all it ever was about. So uh, regarding this particular fundraising drive, I'm satisfied with where it has ended. And I'm hoping that it's a good learning experience from everyone and we can go forward in a productive, positive manner uh, when AGDQ 2018 rolls around. Yeah, I'm hoping that this is just a bump in the road and they can get back on track. I mean, that's that you have to follow the rules, like you said. And especially when you laid out the rules and you published the rules, you... <laughs> You can't just go do something else entirely. 
that's not how the system works if you want everything to work and not, you don't want people to think horrible things about you and what you're doing. But I think the causes are good. Um, I really like the addition of pinball at the games done quick. And I like the extra view that is, that it brings to the hobby and the more people it brings into the hobby. I think it's a wonderful thing. I want to see them continue. I just want to see them make sure that they're doing things exactly how they laid out and said that they're doing things. And I would like to see them actually get any sweepstakes giveaways or anything like that, that they're doing be donated. So they are actually giving the charity a hundred percent of what they say they're giving the charity or if they're not going to do it, at least they have to be sure to say, well, we'll give the charity everything we have left after we buy the prizes. That needs to be made very clear. Right. And, and I, my, my, my sense is they understand that at this point, I have no idea what sort of changes they're going to do. Uh, I could offer up a whole lot. I, I won't hear, uh, but, uh, I mean, if they ever want to reach out, they can, they have our email address. I, I emailed them about this before the, all the public announcements happened and they, they didn't respond to that. They've been responding publicly, so I'm not surprised. Um, but you know, I, I'll make myself available, uh, you know, if they want suggestions, uh, they might, uh, they might not want to talk to me for a little while as it is, but, uh, but, um, you know, it needed, it, I, the cha- changes needed to happen. They have happened. Uh, so let's, let's just hope that, that, uh, that's enough to, to get things right and, and productive. We want it to be productive. We want to see the, those dollar amounts grow that they can generate. I mean, there's no way they're going to match what GDQ is generating on the, on the video game side, but, uh, pinball uh, can make a significant difference. So I want to see it progress. Okay. That's it for pinball. We're done. And We're done. so that, yes, we Short got a little topic. Games. We got video games now. We only really have one video game topic, and that's Overwatch's edition of Doomfist. I have talked Yay! way too much, so I want you to please tell us about Doomfist. Doomfist, who they've hinted at for a long time, who almost everything, all the little animated shorts and everything, has almost always revolved around Doomfist in some way. From the very first one, where they were seeing Doomfist Fist, to... The in games when you're, when you're stealing or protecting Doomfist Fist, all that stuff. And it's finally here. Doomfist is here and he's not voiced by Terry Crews. So I'm actually sad about that. I, I, I'm sad about that too. Only Uh, because I wanted him to use like a whole bunch of old spice commercial lines. Yeah. He used to do the web ones. That, that's basically what I wanted at the same time. Uh, I was very happy with, uh, the abilities he does have. He's, he seems to be a very interesting and different style of hero <clears throat> because he's got a lot of mobility, which is really good for somebody who's a primary melee striker. Um, but we'll, I'll start out with just a quick rundown of his abilities. His first ability is he's got a hand cannon, which he lets him fire a short range burst from the knuckles of his fist. And it's got an automatic slow regeneration, so there's no reload to it. Pew, pew. He's got a seismic slam where he leaps forward and smashes into the ground, knocking uh, nearby enemies towards him, so you can pull people in. He's got the Shoryuken, so he can do a big old uppercut and jump up high in the air, which I seem to have seen more often used as literally just for mobility reasons to get higher in the air. He's got uh, the Rocket Punch, which everybody with the big fist needs a Rocket Punch. Mm, yep. And he charges it up and it shoots him forward 
and you can hit enemies and knock them flying or use it in combination with the uppercut to get you into some really weird places and jump over stuff and, and do some high mobility stuff. Uh, he generates some of his own personal defensive shields and his ultimate is a thing where he leaps up into the sky and then falls to the targets and then falls to the ground and causes a bunch of damage. Um, I don't play on the PTR. I've not played him yet. I've watched a lot of videos of him being played, including some very fun, silly videos, but I have to say that I think he'll be an interesting addition to the Overwatch cast. Like a lot of the new people until we really see what the meta is going to break down into. I don't know how huge he's going to be. I don't know if it's going to turn into like uh, Anna when Anna came out and suddenly all the metas rotated around Anna and Anna was the meta. Everything was based around Anna for the meta. And then when Sombra came out, not so much. So I think it's going to be definitely interesting to see where they go from here. And unlike uh, Anna and, uh, uh, but yeah, unlike Anna, or Orisa, with Doomfist, they released uh, an animation short at his announcement, and we didn't have to do some horrible Sombra, freaking long-winded ARG thing. To oh yeah, yeah, that one was a bit that, much. Yeah, that that was a bit over. over and and for people who are not huge fans of Tracer, like me, you'll like the Doomfist video. It's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, do, what, do you have any thoughts on on if and what ways he might impact meta? Uh, my my initial inclination, I've, I've watched some footage of him. I also have not played him yet. Is uh, he seems obviously he's he's up close, so he's going to be weaker towards uh, against most ranged characters. Uh, he seems pretty uh, because of his defensive shields, pretty good on if you wanted to use him in a somewhat defensive fashion, protecting the back line. And I think he melts Winston pretty well. So I think this might have a good potential, even though you might think you just add to it to actually shake up the dive comp, which dive comp seems to be high level meta at this point. Everyone's running Winston and doing the dive comp. Um, uh, And I'd like to see that change up because I actually, uh, as someone who's typically playing support, uh, I hate dive comp because they just get into the back line and just tear it all up. And so it's almost like who who dives in first and is more successful first is what the dive comp meta is to me. So I think he might shake up the dive comp meta. I, I don't think he's so much. Com- I don't think he'll destroy it. And in a way, because in a way he can complement it he, because he himself can dive in. But I think it might actually result in some people going, you know what? Let's not run dive comp. They're using D- Doomfist in a defensive fashion. Let's maybe go and use some Reinhardt's again and do maybe more of a shield approach. But that's my speculation initially. Yeah, I could see that. I, I definitely think there's going to be some adjustments to the dive comp uh, because of it. My only real question is: he's an offense hero, and who are you going to who are you going to pull out? I mean, what what uh, out of your comp? I mean, are you going to pull out a, a Genji or a, a Reaper or somebody? I mean, who who's he going to take the place of in the standard comps? And I think that's going to be the question because it's going to be about utility and who you use. I mean, things are a bit more flexible than they were because like back during the triple tank metas, there was pretty much like two builds and that was it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, and I I don't I don't think he's going to box us in. I don't think he narrows options. I think he he may widen them some. I think it's probably going to be more map specific and uh Sombra's listed as an offensive hero also, isn't she? Yeah, she is listed as an offensive okay. hero. And she seems to be a pretty hard counter to Doomfist actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From what yeah, I've seen. He's so ability driven. Yeah, that that makes right. a lot of sense. But but what I was going to bring up was the fact that Again, mostly on the higher level play stuff. Sombra seems to be most often chosen. She's not chosen a lot. There are a few maps, though. Mostly used on defense. She's used on the defensive team. She may be an offensive character, but she can operate. Some people think she should be reclassed as support because she can hack health kits and replace a healer if it's a map where the big health kits are around, where you're going to bottleneck and such. But given that sort of thing, I could maybe see Doomfist as, okay, yeah, on defense, maybe you say, you know what, I, I don't need, they're doing a dive, they're not running a Farah. I don't need a soldier, I'll use Doomfist instead, because he can jump back to the back line and protect them from the dive, and then jump back, he's so mobile, he could then go back and get back, back and front is pretty close together on the defensive teams on some maps, so that's kind of, I'm really tea leafing it here, trying, trying to read what, <laughs> what it might be, but that's what I'm kind of wondering. He might be an offensive hero that we only see on a few maps in defensive scenarios. For, for instance, uh, I think he's got more potential than Sombra does. Sombra is, they're just, there are only, they're like two maps I ever see her on I, other than when I play, then everyone thinks that they know how to play Sombra and all they do is hide the whole time and make me lose. I now Yeah. I think. Sombra is one of those characters who I think is a very interesting character lore-wise, but actual playstyle-wise is not nearly as big of a addition as they probably hoped it would be. And and again, they they opened up their the first new character added was Anna and she changed everything. She changed the whole game and she's still even after multiple rounds of nerfing, still a massively popular character who is very, very good in all of her use situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sombra was a weird one in a way because uh, the cloaking, some people think that that sort of stuff goes against the spirit of a shooter like this, where you can actually hide and, and get behind people because you just can't be seen sort of things. And different than Reaper with his teleport. It was just, yeah. something. some people just don't like the concept of a, of a character that relies totally on, on hiding and warping away automatically, you know, tracer, at least you can predict her movements. She can't just warp anywhere from where she left her beacon. But, but anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing him in action. I know for like three weeks, I won't ever be able to choose him because whoever's first in the game is always going to choose Doomfist. But yeah, that's, I'll, I'll that's... get a chance of it. Same was with Sombra and I got a chance eventually. Well, eventually, I mean, I was the same way with Arisa. I can't remember how long it took before I finally got a chance to, I think actually the first time I got Arisa was when I was playing a random game and it popped up and I, and I died like 37 seconds later. I didn't have as hard of a time uh, being able to get Arisa because uh, no one wants to play tank. So, yeah, that's my theory. I like playing tank sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it all right. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, that was it for video games. So now we go into our tabletop segment, which is all about CantCon 2017. We went on Friday and Saturday, as we noted earlier. CantCon's actually still going on as we're recording it, but uh, recording this, but we were able to play four games. These games play long, folks. Uh, so we played two on Friday and two on Saturday. And I thought it might be best to just go through 
them chronologically. The first game we went and played was a miniatures game, and I believe it was just called World War II. Yeah, it was just a, it, it was kind of a homebrew using bits uh, from this system and that system, uh, kind of set up to be very quick, easy. It was very much designed to be a con game where you play at a con with a large number of people. So it was designed to be very easy to understand, not super deep and let you go through the game pretty quickly and easily. And, uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, Part of the, now, now we did, we should point out here that some of our stuff, our, our games this year was pretty much nothing really planned out because last year when we went, the online signups, nobody used the online signups. So everything had available spots. So last year we just went and did, we just went and could have done whatever. So this year we didn't use the online signup and everybody did the online signup. So it was a little harder to find, to get into some of the stuff we'd, we'd hope to get into. And this was one of those situations where we got into this, uh, miniatures game. And what he was do, what the game was set up for was it was two sides, the Axis and the Allies, because it's World War II. And what you were doing was you were playing in, uh, towards the end of the war. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact, I don't remember the exact, uh, operation it was, but what it amounted to was the Germans were fleeing across the, uh, 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 fleeing back across the Rhine. And as the game went on, more Germans and more Germans and more Germans and more Germans would come onto the map. And their whole goal was to get all the way across the map and over the bridges and to safety while the allied players kept getting more people's they funneled in with the whole purpose of taking out as many Germans as possible and closing down the gap so they didn't escape. And I ended up being allies and Dennis ended up being on the axis. So we, we, we were, we were enemies, enemies from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, it was, I had, a, I had a lot of fun. This is the first time I ever played a miniatures game. Uh, and it was it was made very easy to understand. So the you know we'd lose a vehicle, I'd get a new vehicle that would be randomly assigned based off of a, a die roll, uh, movement uh, speed and, and attack, and all that was defined based off of the vehicle you had. So what you could do every turn was very straightforward. The summaries were really really good, um, and so and the concept was simple. But it of course as long as this was, I mean, this is like a conference table freaking map. So, oh yeah, it it was it was huge. It was huge, huge wide at that. So it it got to the point when there was stuff in the middle. We were we were pacing around the table to get to all our miniatures on both sides of the table and everywhere. That yeah, my legs got really sore. I was like, "What sort of game (laughs) is this?" I'm sore. Uh, But yeah, no, it it was really neat. Um, And the 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 sort of GM running it explains Bob Roby was the okay. GM and it was, it was called the great escape. And yeah, it's a, it was a custom system. Okay. I have links to all the games uh, in the show notes for, from CantCon except this one because of its, uh, I didn't find a website because of its homebrew nature, but yeah, but anyway, yeah, it was really neat. And, uh, I, I guess technically my side barely won called it a technical victory. Cause you only had to get like every vehicle we got across, was the equivalent of three German vehicles that were destroyed. So yeah, we got across like uh, uh, enough to 
I think we got across uh, eight. Yeah, we got across eight, which was the, and we lost 23 vehicles. So they were worth 24. And we went until, we went all the way until one, which was the hard cutoff time. And then yeah, it, it was a straight four up. hour run. Cause who knows? In five more minutes, we might have lost more. Ve- we might have been down to like 27 vehicles. We had a terrible start. Um, and it was just, it was a, it, it did was a start mess. real bad. And there was, a, there was, uh, we were, the allies were getting some really good rolls there at the beginning. And there were some bad rolls coming up on the German side where all your tanks kept coming into the same place. And there were a couple tanks there just smashing them as soon as they came onto the field. So yeah, that, yeah we had it, a you took a lot of damage up. right at the beginning. Yeah, and it was really hard. The Allies refused to ever go in our artillery range. We only That's ever got them if they spawned there. <laughs> yes, but every time anything that spawned there died, you had so much artillery that it was just a death zone down there. Yeah, so eventually we went from initially trying to uh, do a whole lot of combat to our German strategy became just just run, just run, and we would. Generally, if we could cross the, the the boundaries and get into artillery range, other than their long range shooters, we you, actually we never lost a vehicle once it got into artillery range. There were some once. that still could be shot at. Okay, there might once. have been one. There might have been one. There was a baby vehicle. We don't count it. Yeah, it was one yeah. one of the one of the observers because it was a very edge of long range shot from out of artillery range into artillery range and took him out. So anyway, so that was the first game, um, and yeah, I I liked it because it was it was sometimes with these games I spend a great deal of the of the time not understanding what I'm doing, and that's to be expected. I'm trying a lot. I try a lot of new things when I've been, this is my second CantCon and a lot of the stuff I've done, uh, I just have, I've never played before. And I like that, but it was nice that this one, like within 10 minutes, I felt like I fully understood how to do everything. And so I was like, okay, now I just, I, now I need to learn to be tactical, better tactical than I was. Of course, sometimes you can be as tactical as you want and your, your die roll won't save you. So <laughs> you're just stuck, but that's, that's games. So, so that was a, our first Friday game. The second one was in an RPG that I had never played before, uh, called, uh, in the Call of Cthulhu, or you can pronounce it several ways. I went and looked it up though, and this is the most common way it's said for the RPG. So I'm going to call it Cthulhu, uh, which is the, the Lovecraftian world of cosmic horror. For those of you who are fans of such things, he was a pretty, pretty popular writer who kind of pioneered cosmic horror as an idea. Uh, Tony, had you ever played a Call of Cthulhu game? I've played many Cthulhu games, but not Call of Cthulhu itself. I've played a lot of other Cthulhu-based games. Uh, I've played a fairly large amount of uh, Arkham Horror. Uh, but this was, this was I haven't actually just sat down and played this before, so it was a first for me. And and so this one it was really neat because the I mean the concept in the Call of Cthulhu gameplay is in a lot of ways it feels mechanically so, pretty similar to how Dungeons and Dragons works except it's much more about the mystery and the investigation not about combat and the idea is to give you a sense of foreboding and dread and you know it's a great sign when your GM tells you at the start Understand that because it was a beginner when they had it, you know, they were explaining to us, understand that this is called Cthulhu. Chances are everyone will die. You're not supposed to expect to live. It's just a question of how you die. So that's not, it's not that it's impossible for you to live. It's just, uh, no, you're, you're not going to live. That's what they, that's what was said. And it was wonderful. 
I mean, it was happy. Nobody went insane. There's absolutely no insanity in that game. <laughs> no characters pooped themselves. That didn't happen either. It, well, it was <laughs> we, naturally. This is a CantCon episode, so we got we got go, we got going in the meat on these things. I, I have to sit through uh, who knows how many podcasts where people are trying to tell me about every game and what they did in pinball in a tournament, and I'm like, I don't care. So now you guys are going to sit through this. So, so we're exploring a pyramid, and initially there were three of us. Um, and then a fourth player joined in, which was good because it, it yeah. really helped the dynamic a lot because we were very limited. The, technically, the game could run with two people, but no, you definitely wanted as big of a group as you could get. Because it, it helps spread things out. And it's a very, unlike some games where it's like everybody can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you guys can kind of work together, this and that. This one, this one was very much a, <laughs> Bob is a fork. John is a spoon. They do totally different things. This guy's a knife. This guy is a serving platter. Everybody is very locked into one uh, niche that is their primary thing. So when you needed something done with that niche, you really needed that specific person. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's very, it's all very specialist. So, so the four character spread was we had a, a language expert who was sort of an anthropologist type. And yeah, T- Tony's role was the archaeologist, which I always handy. did terribly. I, yeah. I I failed like all but one archaeology role, even though my archaeology was amazingly high. You role played him well, though, so that was good. <laughs> he, he was he was the rival to some some Doctor Jones. He hated Doctor Jones. Yeah, I was American. I was the most ridiculous one. Uh, I I took the dilettante, which I uh, I I kid you not, his highest stat was in an ability called credit rating. <laughs> and I never got to do a saving throw versus Visa. So I'm pretty disappointed. That was my biggest disappointment about that game is I never got to like try and use my charge card to get out of the horror, but <laughs> that was his specialty. Uh and I, and I had high knowledge of the occult. So so I had that going for me. And then uh, the person who joined us a little bit after we started uh took the role of the ex-soldier. So that was our muscle. And you're going and you're exploring this this pyramid, so this crypt essentially. And it's just, and I mean, we were trapped in it. Yeah. Because we went we went in and the path to get in, a door shut. And we were trapped inside this necropolis like like place. Mm-hmm. And so almost the entire game is just exploration and doing uh, save checks to see if you can figure out stuff of which most of which we kept failing. So we're not figuring anything out. We're bumbling along in the tomb and you have to constantly be making sanity checks because that's the big addition mechanic that uh, Call of Cthulhu had versus the game platform, which I read about. Uh, it wasn't built on Dungeons and Dragons. It was built on a different model. But the sanity thing was was the main add on orig- in the original version from what I read this morning, because I had to do some background research. And so you constantly are making these sanity throws as you go along and see horrific or scary things. And even when you succeed, you lose sanity. It's just, it's, it ticks down less. Uh, I failed every sanity throw, <laughs> which was, which was not great. Uh, so there came a point, actually the exact same point where we encountered something fairly horrific, where Tony's character and my character both, lost control of our sanity. Not that we ran out of sanity and were reduced to a drooling slob on the floor, but if you lose too much within a short period of time, you have the chance to basically go temporarily insane. 
Have a mild psychotic break. Yes. Now, mine, because of my roles, was actually a very mild psychotic break, and I got to pull a Breaking Bad and enter a fugue state, uh, in my case, fantasizing about pigtails. But Tony's character... I rolled... I rolled bad in this game, period. Every roll was bad. And I was, when I was rolling for my little psychotic break, it was just about as bad as it could be. Because basically what it amounted to is I was locked completely into terror. I no longer saw anything. All I saw around me was monsters. Everything I heard was a monster. I defecated myself. And... Mm -hmm. I, my only goal was to either attack or run away from all these monsters I saw around me. And seeing as the only people around me were my friends, I, I, I threw a lot of stuff and I attacked some people. Yeah. It definitely was, was the, uh, probably the second funniest part in the game. The funniest part was when they were, the anthropologist was examining a wall and needed, Tony's archaeologist to help sweep the debris away <laughs> and the and the debris sweeping roll was so bad that he hit her with the brush and actually did damage to her yeah and blinded her for a couple turns and so it became the battle brush because yeah I had a combat a brush to, to the to a combat brush but so there was that um my my own highlight I'm gonna take the highlight my highlight uh, of, of a good thing happening was very early on in it. I actually did a, a, a role. I had no innate ability in understanding uh, archaeology. I think or anthro. It was some, some, something. I had a one percent chance. I actually rolled the one percent, and so the GM had to let us progress with my knowledge, <laughs> which made no sense. Even though I'd fa- I had a seventy percent chance, and I failed it. Yep, I failed all those rolls. And so, yeah. that, so that, that that's that saved us having to have some creative shenanigans figure out how we were going to get further because this is kind of yeah the GM's just kind of like yeah you just kind of pulled that out of somewhere and figured it out and I'm like, yeah <laughs> it's what dilettante does so so uh, now the most epic thing was the ending which went really quick you know we never saw a monster not not once least, my character never saw a monster. The way the way the game kind of ended uh, was our our soldier was doing all these rolls. He had he had a found a piece of dynamite and he tied it to his knife and embedded it in a in an in an area where the monster was going to break through, and and so when when it did, it blew up the dynamite that killed Tony's character because Tony's character had just come out of his insanity phase yeah. and was yeah. trailing behind us. It's like, where did everybody go? Explosion. We all took shrapnel damage in the next room because we were still really close to the blast. So that happened to us. And then in an attempt to get out, our soldier who had found a battle axe at some point, don't ask, decided he would try and break his way through the slab. And he had this super awesome roll and he got to, I mean, it's totally dark. He actually lands the hit and then axe shatters shards embed in his eyes doesn't matter the room we knew from the very beginning was unstable and the disruption collapsed the roof and killed the rest of us so that's how cthulhu ends rocks fall everybody dies yes yeah so but uh i actually i thought it was really fun i really liked it um it was was a lot of fun because it was so role play heavy it was the most voice work i i got to do uh all can't con 
uh, because it's just not about combat. It's just about this exploration and being that character. And the characters were just so different that, uh, that it, it, it just worked out. So I were, that one was, was again, it was one, Oh, this is open. Let's go ahead and, and try it out. And I, I'm glad I got to do that one. Cause it was, yeah, it, it was, was a lot of fun. Funny. I like the whole investigative angle of it. I think I would have liked it more if I'd succeeded a role here or there sometime. Yeah, probably. But I, uh, yeah, the whole being instead of the normal, I mean, like, like, like D and D pathfinder, this, and that, where the investigation is roll. Okay. Yeah. You figured out. And then here's the, all the exposition of what you figured out is they were actually, well, okay. You succeeded on the roll here. Here's some of the stuff you, here's what you have figured out from knowing this, but that wasn't, didn't have the exact answer to whatever you were looking for. You still had to piece stuff together and try and figure out, uh, what was going on and what was the greater mystery um, which we utterly failed to do. But the fact that there was no combat other than me blindly in an insane rage, uh, trying to protect myself by throwing gold and gems and, and trowels and, and anything I found at people, uh, there was no combat. I, I mean, even the soldier never saw the bad guy. I mean, it was a, it, we knew he was there because he was punching through a solid stone wall, but, yeah, the, we uh, ended it all before that actually became a problem. Other than the dynamite sticks uh, damage, the, the fatal damage to Tony's character and shrapnel damage to the rest of us, the only other hit point subtraction that ever happened was combat brush. Yeah, that was, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, you would think, you know, especially with a con game, it's like, well, you, con games tend to be combat heavy and RPG light, but it wasn't, and it, it worked really well. <clears throat> it's a system that I um. I don't think I'd have any problems playing again, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I thought it was it was pretty keen. And so next day uh, was another role playing game. We finally got to do our D and D Dungeons and Dragons Five E edition. Uh, barely, oh gosh, it was. I it was, was getting iffy. Yeah, it was. I mean, they were just they were all full. We we learned during the the setup for that last year's CantCon they placed a lot more uh, GMs or, or, or game masters in uh, as available. So they were able to open up a lot more tables when the demand was there. So that's why it was so easy for Tony and me to, to get any game we wanted. That was not the case this time. It was, it was run by a different person and they, they were running a much tighter kind of ship on how many GMs they were going to use. So because of that, everything was pretty much full up. So Tony found a game, a D&D game, which was a seven player max, and he was able to put us down as players seven and eight. And one of the one of the other players was there, but had joined a different game. So we actually were able to both get in and and, and do that with a full team of seven. So that worked out because for those of you that might not recall, Tony and I had characters, right? This was the game we had characters. We were going to do a and d game. That was the plan. We, I pre-made a character the, uh, the week before, and Tony had his character that he's talked about extensively around last CantCon time from the prior year. So we really wanted to run those characters, uh, you know, had our backstories all figured out. It was all, it was awesome. It was awesome. So, uh, Tony, you want to explain a bit what the, what this campaign was, was about? Cause it was, it was it was different than last year's uh, we did we ran a different set i didn't like this one as much actually it was a little more piecemeal but yeah, it's like this a one, five module thing 
Right, because we what we did was we were a um, we did a starter because Dennis's character was level one and my character was only level two, so we did we did a starter adventure, and what it turned into was it was actually a uh, uh, series of little adventures that it started out with. Our group was put together and hired. Uh, to go find some treasures that was stuff being left over from a major event that happened in a previous adventure league season, uh, adventure thing, uh, not the one we did last year, but, an- but another one. And there were treasures left over from this cult that was destroyed. And the goal was this person that had hired us had tracked down where all these treasures were but they needed the muscle to go in and get them. So we were meeting with them. And when we met with, as when we went to meet her, she was dead. Somebody had killed her and stolen her little Holy Grail diary of all the information. But luckily she had some other notes that we were able to piece together the uh, locations of the five treasures. And, so what we ended up doing was jumping straight. It was using those to let us do the five individual little modules of which we only got three done, but to go in and check out the, to try and get the treasures from before the people who'd killed her and made off with the notebook. Tony and I were the only ones who brought characters. Everyone else uh, used a pre-gen, which is to mm-hmm. be expected in those, in those intro ones. Yep. It was good that Tony actually got in because we had essentially no tank before that. I know there was there was one guy who had there was a had, monk. There was a monk, and he had pretty high armor. So he had, he, yeah, yeah, he had he had high armor, and we had no cleric, no clerics, no druids. No, everyone wanted to be a ranger or a thief. And you know what? I'm sick of playing RPGs with thieves. They they annoy me. Yeah, they do. They can, depending upon how they're played, they can be annoying. This one wasn't as terrible as some I've played, but it's just, but we had, we had a monk, a rogue, a wizard, two rangers, thuggish the barbarian, and your warlock. Yes. So we actually had good DPS. Oh, yeah. We just didn't have meat shields other than me and the, the, Monk was able to do meat shieldy stuff because he had fairly high AC, but he had very low health. So it was like a blade of meat shield. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, and, um, he, I don't know. I went down twice in this campaign. So and he and did I kept too. trying to hang back, uh, because as a, as playing a warlock, I have ranged abilities and that's all I ever used were my range. I had to get close once and it worked out quite well when I did, uh, to use a very powerful ability, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it went along. We kind of had to rush through the, the third module that we did because it was just, uh, we were running, we were really running out of time because, with seven people, it was just progressing fairly slowly. A lot of roles were also not coming up well. So we some <laughs> of the combat fights, I think, took longer than the GM thought they ever would. Um, I got enough to get to level two, and I'll, I'll need to allocate out and upgrade Snotwin. I, I didn't get to roleplay him very much because Snotwin's all geared for me to basically vo- – it's an anagram of Winston from overwatch so i try and voice him like winston but that the character is a half orc hence the stupid name 
and he, you know, he's supposed to, he just, he's driven by wanting to be the best warlock that he can be, but he was a hermit. So he has no like street smarts. He's intelligent, but he has no wisdom. So, so I, you know, I have this really elaborate kind of style of role play I want to do with him, but this was, as Tony noted, a, a very combat oriented, uh, set of, of adventures that we went on and not unusual for, for a con to, to be combat oriented, but yeah, there was not a whole lot of role playing going on. And with seven people, it takes a long time to decide much of anything. It's like ints talking to each other. It's just, it takes a long time. Yeah. And that's D and D. I think the sweet spot with D and D is actually five characters. Um, is my personal thought from everything I've played is four or five characters is the sweet spot. Seven is as big as you can really go. And it starts getting a little slow and a little, a little chunky, but it was, it wasn't bad. It was fun. We, we had some stuff. We, it didn't as, it wasn't nearly as RP heavy as, well, definitely call us Thulu or as RP heavy as the games we played of 5e last year. Uh, but it's it wasn't bad. It was fun. Uh, I liked how the characters worked out. I'm still keeping the gosh. He's awesome. He's just too, he's too much fun. I literally referred to every other person as a puppy. Yep. It's the only yep. reference. No, I never said anybody's name. Everybody was pup because well, of that, his that's why you got player of the game. Because <laughs> you, you did do you were able to work in the most role play uh, elements, and not to mention you also saved everyone's life pretty much so i think those two things kind of worked in your face worked in well, your favor. that also helped that you were all level one and i was level two so i sure, have literally more than twice the health of everybody because none of you guys had any health yeah yeah i already sad. had a lot of health because i was a barbarian and i was a level ahead of you so i had a ton of health compared to you guys and i took a lot of damage but i never got knocked down to the levels you guys did should have raged Oh, I know. I forgot to rage so many times. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. I forgot that I, uh, when I fall to zero hit points, I actually go back to one. So I shouldn't have been down the first time I went down. But uh, I forgot about that uh, racial trait on my sheet. Oops. But yeah, no, I had fun with it. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and hop to, to the, the last game we did at CantCon, which was a card game. So we really mixed it up this time. Miniatures, two RPGs, one combat oriented and one explore, exploratory RPG heavy oriented and now a card game called z gate crashers which um i don't tony you've played a lot of card games is there any other sort of card game you would maybe most compare it to that's a that's like a big known card game um no no i i, I really i really it, it's got it's got like a couple mechanics that are similar lightly to some other games but nothing that is just like, oh, this is a refined version of that. Yeah, no. No, no. It, it seemed really unique to me, uh, but but I have a lot less experience. So that's that's why I wondered. But uh, the 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 premise of, uh, is very straightforward. The you're you're playing you're so you're around a table and you have cards, which a variety of sort of spooks and, you know, zombies and wraiths and all that uh get drawn up and are, are coming out of emergence holes. Think gears of war style. And you're in a way doing a tower defense where you have a gate and you're trying to protect that gate and you get a variety of weapon cards and bonus cards to start with. And as turns progress, you may acquire more either through purchase or 
just certain amounts are doled out in terms of weapons as rounds progress. You have a certain amount of life, which kind of represented in, I believe they call them soul bits. Yeah. You earn more as you damage and defeat enemies. You have less when they serve as hit points. So as your gate takes damage, you have to give those up. You also use them as your currency to make purchases. Um, and you have a certain number of zombies in front of every person's gate. Uh, so you have your own sort of, I shouldn't say zombies, just say g- g- monsters. And yet, But you can also attack the monsters around the other people. They're all, you're trying to guard all the gates. So it was a really interesting idea. The weapons had this chaining property. So you'd have certain weapons that you'd need that could only start a chain and certain weapons that could be in the middle of a chain and continue the chain. And then there were closing chains and the bonuses worked the same way. So you'd have to try and figure out how you'd want to build out these sort of elaborate attacks and what those could reach in terms of damage varied. Uh, there was a lot of complexity to it. I was afraid I was going to go through the whole game and not understand what I was doing, but the, the GM did a really good job explaining it. So anytime I had a question, I would just ask and he'd summarize it. Uh, cause I need a few things repeated to me so that I could, once I was actually was playing it, I could see it in action so that I could remember it better because it, it sticks with me better visually. Uh, and it was brutal. I don't know if the game is always this brutal. It's not like pandemic. You have well, no chance of winning. Well, so he said, play? he even said it was the most brutal, worst card draws he'd ever seen. And he's the guy who made the game. Mm. Uh, it, it was, it, it was, it, it was a challenge. Was I'll say like, that. Because when you, when they made they put together based upon the number of players they put together stacks of the monster cards that each card brings out so many random monsters and they have they're they're you know green yellow and orange as you start with the first couple are greens or the first the first rounds are greens then yellows and then oranges well apparently our greens were normal and our yellows were nothing but the hardest yellows. And the oranges were nothing but the hardest oranges. So we literally just got smashed with all of the hardest cards. So by the time the oranges were out and dropping huge numbers of the most powerful monsters on us, we were still trying to work our way through the yellows because there were so many and they were so strong. And it's a game where with the right card, you can help each other out. And you can, you can trade and you can use your abilities to hurt monsters on the other guys. We had no chance because we were all so overwhelmed because we had such terrible draws <laughs> that we were just completely overwhelmed yeah. trying to keep ourselves alive. I mean, I had, I had this one run where I chained together all but one card in my hand and I'd spent almost all of my health buying extra cards and it was about the only thing. And I had several cards that had been saved from the previous round because they could be used twice if I spent some money on them. So I had this enormous chain of cards and that pretty much kept me alive through the second round when I should have taken a ton of damage. It mitigated a lot and killed a lot of stuff. And then the next round dropped and there was even more larger, heavier, worse things. It was, oh, it was bad. I mean, not bad. Like we didn't, I didn't, I enjoyed the game. I thought the game was kind of fun and I wouldn't have an issue playing the game again. Uh, especially once they get to, to get a better chance to know it. And, and I know it's still in like a play testing phase, but it was bad as in we were getting smashed. Yeah. Uh, t- Tony was in the best position when the game, when the game was wrapping up. Uh, and one of the mechanics is when the when the monsters defeat someone, they all shift over 
to one play. I mean, it, it is a rotation style. So you knew if you, if I died, I knew who would get the next, my, that they get them all. They get all my monsters. And when that person dies, it then falls towards this next, it's like the opposite rotation of the turns. So it's like we were going around the table clockwise. So that means the monsters, if they win, move counterclockwise to the nearest person. So it just became this cascading mess. So we lost a person. And so his, his characters shifted over and then that person that they shifted to survived, but then I died. So he then got my stuff after the next round, which I chained everything I had together. And it just was, it barely made a dent in anything. Yeah, You had point. so many of like the largest, meanest monsters. Yeah. And then when and it, I barely could hurt him, cause I was dying to the little stuff that was there, but I had to start focusing on the little stuff because like the little zombie cards, they're guaranteed. They don't even roll. They're guaranteed to hurt your gate. So I had like 10 of them. I had to fight them. But uh, meanwhile, these things that get to have a, a chance to do 10% of your health damage every time they move, even before they're at the gate are getting to march with impunity. And every single one is a chance. So every single one is a roll to see if it can do it. It was, yeah, it was brutal. Uh, I, yeah, I like the idea of it. I actually uh, think that I'd probably enjoy, you know, I make fun of pandemic a lot, but I think I'd actually enjoy it in that, in that vein more than I do pandemic just because I think it paces uh, better in a way of, you know, in some ways it makes more sense to me. I like the idea of the combat and the trading and stuff. Uh, and it's not all about like just trying to navigate a map and stuff. The hardest part for me was uh, keeping track of like, all right, these weapons can, can't be used at the gate and these weapons only reach this far and where is everything currently? And it is fairly challenging if you want to help others to really be aware of where everything, it takes some time to actually be able to look at all the monsters and be like, how much health does this all still have? And uh, the monster types are pretty unified. So you have these cards and you can kind of look at your own to know what they all do. They've simplified it where they can. So, but uh, it was enjoyable, even though I was the second one to die. Tony got player of the game on that as well, because he lasted the longest. And that was just because I was the last one in line as they marched, as the monsters were marched back around us to, I died, I would have died too, but it was just like, okay, well, the game time's over and it, yeah, we're all, we're all, we've yeah, all lost. The GM acknowledged, I mean, uh, Tony and the GM were in pretty good shape. I think, you know, they could have probably lasted more rounds if they weren't about to get the other three of our character cards dumped on them. But, but the, the volume was such uh, that Tony had defensive cards early on that let him have this quite significant health buildup. The GM knew the game the best. Cause I, I guess he created the game. So he knew how to do the card combos and had done, I traded something, you know, like a, a weapon over to him, which he made a really effective use of. And he had done a lot of damage to his stuff, but he was going to get my remaining monsters, the first guy who went out's remaining monsters and the guy who had just then gone out's remaining monsters. And there was just no way he could do enough damage. He was, he was taking so much already because he didn't have really any defenses that even though he'd start the monster turn with like close to 40 health, he lost over half of it just to his own stuff. So yeah, it was, it was rough. It was real rough, but I, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it I could have been, yeah, I could have seen it being pretty, Pretty awesome, uh, made with a few minor tweaks, maybe. Uh, part of that might have been helped with the, if we'd been on a table that wasn't quite so large, because that table was way bigger than we needed. 
And and that's that's probably where a lot of the the side issues in terms, of especially knowing how I could help other people. Which I, I other than trades, I never attacked anyone else's uh, monsters. I didn't either, but I mean, I always had such a huge pile of monsters in front of me. I at no point could it, when I was I could I go well, I've got enough spare damage here. I can help somebody out over there because it was taking everything I had to not get smashed in the first couple rounds. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was the same. I always had plenty of stuff to deal with and fail at dealing with. But that was our CanCon experience. It was fun. It was. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I, I When I started seeing how full things were, I, I was really afraid we weren't going to get a chance to play anything real, anything good. And we will sign that up online next year. Yeah, next year we're definitely going to have to be smart about it. Well, uh, I, th- I think we made it to the end of the podcast, Tony. I think so. A reminder to listeners, if you want to reach out and ask us questions, you can email us eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. We're also on a variety of social media. I'd say most active on Facebook, which would be facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, both places where eclectic underscore gamers. Until two weeks from now, I'll say uh, goodbye, everyone. Take it easy and have fun.